You're listening to audio from Pillar Church of Jacksonville, where our goal is to know Jesus and to make him known. If you have questions or want to know more about us, and can text Pillar to 94000 or visit our website at pillarjacks.com. All right, it's working. That's cool. First step complete. My name is Joshua. I am one of the pastors down at Pillar Church of Topsail, um, spelled Topsail, but pronounced Topsail. Thank you for doing that and the welcome. I appreciate the prayers. A um, little bit about me, because as I look uh, around the crowd, there is a lot of people that probably don't know who I am. Um, I came to Pillar Church of Jacksonville when we were meeting at E.J. Hines roughly four or five years ago. Um, myself, my family, we joined there um, with this body, uh, with and then about a year later, um, was voted into uh, being one of the fellow elders, pastors. Uh, a couple of years later, I was ordained within this church. Um, and then we were sent out with a couple other families from the church. And we went down to Sneeds Ferry area in, in Topsail and um, started a church about a year ago. A little over a year ago. And um, so... Here we are. Um, And I just, if you all weren't raising hands and praising God during some of those songs, I'm going to get some hand raising out of everybody. So I want to do a little bit of like a survey here um, because a gentleman came down who hadn't been at Pillar Jacks for three years and he did a survey and not one hand went up when he asked if anyone had ever heard of him. And it was just amazing. So I've been gone for a little over a year. And I just want to see, by show of hands, who does not remember me from being here a little over a year ago? Who doesn't know who I am? Okay, okay. So it looks like um, rough guesstimation of ratio here. We're looking at a little over a third of the crowd doesn't even know because there's that much of a turnover. Um, Something I want to let you know before we get started, and I have a purpose here, just give me a moment. You're in a seat that was filled by somebody else because we were this full over a year ago. You're in a seat of a person who has since left and gone and done something else somewhere else. I say that because we are a transient population. We are already moving. We're already moving very regularly. While you're in this seat, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Whatever point in life that you're at, grow in that to the next point. Sanctify. Let that sanctifying lifestyle just take hold in your heart and grow and learn more about who Christ is. And today, um, we're going to be learning a little bit about God and his characteristics. The title of my sermon today is Observe God, and it's a boring title because I didn't vet it through my son. Uh, He usually helps me um, give some really good, if you know my son, he gives me some good, like, really good sermon titles. So, um, but before we do that, I just came from a conference in middle of North Carolina, somewhere in the hills before you get to the mountains. I couldn't even tell you how to get there. But there's a random conference center up there, and 
a bunch of church planters were gathering together to do the, some of the trainings and get-togethers and figure out who's who in the zoo and all that good stuff. And some other churches came in and spoke to us and all this. And it was great. It was a really good experience. Small confession at first, I didn't want to go. I was like, I got too much to do. I'm busy with work and marining stuff and then doing also like churching stuff and I'm just busy, right? But I went and it was a really encouraging time. But as I was there and I was sitting there, I was, in, I was enjoying the fellowship, I started to realize there was two main camps of people. There were people that looked at Christianity today and they were thinking, wow, what a drag. We're at the end times and everything's falling apart and the gospel's not being spread because this new generation, blah, 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 all this stuff. They were the Eeyores of the crowd, all right? I hear some laughing, so you all know who Eeyore is. We'll get to that in a minute. Then, there was this other portion of the crowd that were like on fire. They were excited because they were seeing God move. They were like sending people out almost like with blatant disregard for any sort of safety. Like they were like having people come to their church and they were getting excited about them going out and they were sending them out with little training and like this, that, and the other thing. And they were like learned through their experiences and they were just like, everywhere and all over the place and just like super stoked about what God was doing and growth and just amazing things happening. They were the tiggers of the crowd. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then there was this group in the middle that you didn't really notice, and I think that's where we fit in. We were, uh, we were cautious, but we were also very excited about God, what God was doing. So we were taking the excitement and we were applying it to people and, and taking a step back and going, okay, guys, what do we need to be concerned about and how do we take steps forward in the right direction and we move forward? And I believe that's where this church also fits in because I am a product of that thought process. Not too Eeyore-ish, but also not too Tigger-ish. Somewhere in the middle, right? Now, I also bring this up because when I said Tigger and when I said Eeyore, you all giggled because you knew exactly who I was talking about. You knew exactly the characteristics of who Eeyore is from Winnie the Pooh, and you knew exactly who Tigger was from Winnie the Pooh. How do you know the characteristics of Tigger and Eeyore? You observed them. You observed their character. You watched them on screen uh, interacting with different characters and how they reacted and what they said and how they said it. And you observed those characters. They never came out and said all of the things that they are. But you observed it and you know exactly what they're like. What I'm going to challenge us today is to observe God and to learn his characteristics just like you've learned who Eeyore and Tigger are. I'm going to do this through four really big aspects of God as we read through the passage today. We're going to learn about how God is all-knowing. We're going to learn about how God is everywhere. We're going to learn about how God is all-loving. And we're also going to learn about God being all-powerful. 
And I'm not going to read the whole text because it's a full chapter. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a chunk and we're going to talk. And then we'll pick up where we left off. I'm going to read another chunk and we'll, we'll talk about that. So, as we do that, before we do that, let's pray together before we start. Lord, Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. You have blessed us. You have loved us. You have sent your Son to die on a cross for us. God, help us to never forget it. Help us to act like it. Help us to remember it in our daily lives. And help us to learn it from who you are and learn more about you each and every day. Help us to see who you are through this text. Help it change our lives. Lord, grow us into the person you would have us to be. And help us to be courageous in spreading your good news to the world. God, we love you so much. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's start in John 11. John chapter 11. We'll be reading in verse 1. And we'll be reading the whole chapter by, by the time the morning's out. But we're just going to read the first 16 verse, or the first, uh, yeah, the first 16 verses to start. And then we'll talk a little bit about God in it. Now, if you were paying attention to the four big points, I'm actually combining the first two, which is God is all-knowing and God is everywhere. There's some, like, cool words for that. Omniscience, omnipresence. Um, I'm linking those together for this first main point. Here's why. It's hard to explain God's all-knowing power and his being everywhere separately because they kind of come hand in hand. He's everywhere and he knows everything. He knows everything because he's everywhere. They kind of go hand in hand. So let's read John 11, starting in verse 1. And I think by the time I'm done reading, you're going to go, I think I know where he's going with this. So let's start in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him 
The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So let's pause there for a second. So in verse 6, it's kind of hard for us to really understand what is going on if we stopped right there. You see, Jesus, the man who loves Lazarus, is told he's ill. And instead of going, well, if he's ill, I'm going to run over to Lazarus and I'm going to heal him. Because I've already healed a bunch of some blind people, some lame people, some sick people. He's sick. Well, I'll just go heal him. I love him. He's, he's one of my buddies. He didn't do that. He said, because I love him, I'm just going to hang out for two more days. And then when he declares that he's, gonna, he's dead, then he's going to go. Totally backwards from our way of thinking. But Jesus is all-knowing, and he's all-present. So he knows what's going to happen. He knows everything that's happening around him. He knows everything that's happening with Lazarus, even though he's not physically present there. You see how the Scripture is showing the characteristics of God in this passage. And I don't want to compare him to Bob Ross, but I'm going to give an example here. Okay, who, by a show of hands again, who, who knows who Bob Ross is? Okay, so, even though it was multiple generations ago, it has stood the test of time. Okay, great. So, Bob Ross, for those of you that didn't raise your hand, he was on TV and he would do paintings. And these paintings, he would start off, and if you were flipping through channels and you saw him and he just started a painting, like, you were stuck. You just had to figure out where he was going. Because he would start with these like happy colors and these pretty colors down below. But you were like, where is this guy's mind going? And then you would start putting in some like fluffy trees and then some like joyous clouds over here and then a little brook that just made you feel so good. And as he was doing it, you were like, wow, as this thing is coming together, you're like, man, he had that picture in his mind the whole time. And he was just putting parts of it together. And as he was putting it together, you started seeing the big picture. You see, that's what God was doing here. He was trying to get them to see the big picture, but he knew they wouldn't see it until he did miraculous things in front of them. So he let things play out. He caused things to play out. He was not there on purpose for Lazarus to die, then went there, and we'll see why in a little while. But you know what's interesting about when we're, when we're watching Bob Ross do his paintings? I can almost guarantee none of us were watching Bob going, he doesn't know what he's doing. We never questioned that he was going to make a cool painting eventually. 
We, we never questioned his motives or his style or his techniques because we had no idea where he was going with it. He just had a blank canvas. But time and time again, we question what God is doing in our lives. We question what's happening to us. Why, God, is he doing this? Why, God, is this happening to me? Why, God, am I struggling with this, that, the other thing? Why do we do that? And met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So verse 17 is very plain and very straightforward. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Four days. He is very, very dead. Then, and not a little bit dead, not mostly dead, all the way dead. Who's seen Princess Bride? All right, gotcha. Okay, so verse 21 is displaying the faith in Jesus' healing abilities, but also limiting Jesus by thinking, now it's too late. So think about what Martha is saying here in verse 21. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So in that statement, he says, she says, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died, meaning you would have healed him. How could you have not been here to heal his sickness? So in that statement, she understands and she is proclaiming the healing power of Jesus and his abilities and how awesome God is, right? But then also in that statement, she's also saying, hey, there's nothing else you can do now. It's done. He's dead. Four days he's been gone. And I've been here mourning this entire time for four days so now it's also a limiting statement saying, hey, Jesus, you're done now. Like, he's gone. There's nothing else you can do. And we'll see that Jesus doesn't go, hey, look, I'm good. Don't worry. Chill out. I'm going to go and I'm going to raise him. He, does, he doesn't say that to her. What he does is he goes straight after her heart. And asks her plainly, do you believe in me? Because that's what's important. 
It's not whether or not he raises people from the dead or he does really cool miracles. It's whether or not you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Savior. And it does all of this like in your personal flesh and these injuries and blindness and all these things that he was doing, that's all just, that's so simple to him. What he's after is the heart. What he's after is the heart. So as we conclude this section of the scriptures, we see that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He's also all-present. He's everywhere. It's obvious through this passage. It's obvious through Lazarus' illness. It's obvious that um, he knew what it would lead to. It's obvious that he knew when Lazarus died, even though he wasn't even close. He was four days' journey away. It's obvious that he is all-knowing. It is obvious that he is all-present. My question I have for you today is, are we acting like it? Are we living like it? When we're alone and we have the choice to sin or to open our Bibles, when we have the option to go and witness to that person or just cower away, God is present. God knows your heart. Are we going to follow God and act like He is who He is, that He is everywhere, that He is with us, or are we going to cower and walk away? But God's not just omniscient. He's not just omnipresent, but He's also omnibenevolent. He is all-loving. Let's read this next portion of Scripture from 28 down to 37, and we'll talk about it. So verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in her house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same type of statement from the other. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. In his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Now there's, I'm going to hone in on a couple little sections here. One section is where it says he was deeply moved. The other is Jesus wept. 
Now, someone who is deeply moved and is also weeping, obviously has some deeply rooted emotions in what's happening here. And there's been a whole lot of ink spilt discussing, describing, and arguing over why Jesus wept. I'm going to give my own personal belief on this, and this is just one side of the discussion. But God came here as a man to be truly man, but he's also truly God. And believe that God sees this opportunity as a way of describing his characteristics, displaying his characteristics of how much he loves people, and we need to pay attention to it. You see, God is the Holy Trinity. He's God the Father, he's God the Son, but he's also the Holy Spirit. Some of us Take that, and we are just utterly confused. And I got to be honest, when I try to wrap my mind around it too, I'm confused sometimes as well. But how else would God be able to display and show his love for people without coming here to actually be man himself and do it himself? He came here as a human and felt pain. He came here and felt the same struggles we feel with being drawn towards certain things. He felt all of the same emotions that we feel. He mourned the same way that we mourn. All of the same emotional problems that we deal with today, if God hadn't done that, we would be praying to a God and going, God help me, but you don't fully understand me. But now we can We know that Jesus, God himself, came to this earth and was human for his entire life, lived a perfect life and died for us, and then rose again so that we could then understand not only his characteristics, but we can also have the full and complete assurance that God understands us. Because he went through all of the same pains and troubles that we go through even mourning, even weeping. He knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why is he weeping? I believe it's to display and show that he is truly man, but also truly God. And he is loving well. And he is showing that love for those who have been hurt, those who have been struggling, those who have been sad, those who have been mourning. And he is showing that same love for them. But I will also point out that Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible. Along with rejoice always in Thessalonians. Two words for each verse. Two shortest verses. God displays his love and compassion. And if you're a believer, then this love should cause you to rejoice always. You know... It's a common thing in our culture today to walk up to somebody and say, hey, how are you? We say, how are you? A lot of times without really wanting to know how the person's doing, we just want to start the conversation and say hi. 
And a lot of times your responses are not much better. Right? Oh, I'm good. And then you move on. Or if you were like me for many years back in my younger's days, um, after I came back from combat tours and stuff, I'd be like, hey, no one's shooting at me. I'm happy. That was my response. Every time I was at work, somebody would ask me, how are you? No one's shooting at me. All's good. But as I grew in my faith and as I was sanctified, I realized the circumstances around my life should not determine how I am doing. Sometimes they affect you. Yes, obviously. But they shouldn't affect how I'm doing and how I should respond to people. So now, you'll typically hear me say, it's a beautiful day. And sometimes it's raining. And you all will go, it's raining outside. I go, yeah, but God made it rain. It's God's day. It's all good. It's a beautiful day. Sometimes I say I'm better than I deserve. Because, well, truly, I am doing better than I deserve. Because my sin deserves hell, but God died for me. And at the root of all those responses is really just that, because God loves me. Sometimes I'll say that, hey, how are you? God loves me, all is well. God loves me. So I ask the question, As you read the scriptures and you see the love of God and the fact that God is all loving, if you're saved today, do you live like it? Do you live each day with the peace and the joy that can only come from the love of God? I would challenge you to do so. But he's not just all loving, he's also all powerful. So let's read the next chunk of scripture and see what God has for us. In verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha and the sister of the dead men said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pause there for a second. Quick note. In verse 41, I'm sorry, verse 42, he says, I knew that you always hear me, God, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe. Jesus is saying why he is doing all of this. Observe God and believe. He's 
flat out telling the people around, hey, I'm talking to God the Father to do all of these things and praying about this, but you know what? I'm only saying it for your good so that you might believe. Four days ago, I knew he died. I could have come early and kept him from dying, but I'm doing all these things so you may believe that he is who he is. But he's also showing that he's all-powerful. From 38 to 44, we see that he is all-powerful even over death itself. He can raise people from the dead. He created all things. He is all-powerful. He can do anything he wants. And sometimes we bicker and we get all angry and mad about the bad things that are going on. Because we lose sight of the fact that God is all-powerful. He's doing what He wants because He's God. So many people ask, why? Why is there sin and death and problems in the world? Well, because we're in the world. And we're all messed up. But you know what? God is all-powerful and He can do what He wants. So when we start to question God, we're questioning His abilities, who He is, and that He's all-powerful. And when we start to doubt what God might be doing in our lives, we question whether or not He's really all-powerful. We question whether or not He's really an all-wonderful God. Help us to stop. Because He took this dead, rotting corpse that was dead for four days And they even warned Jesus before they opened up the tomb. It's going to stink. It's that bad. It's gross. But he was not deterred. He just said, did I not tell you you would not believe? Like, you've seen me do so many other things. Shut your mouths and open the tomb. So they open the tomb. And he commands Lazarus come out. And he comes out. Now, here's something I want to point out because I'm, I'm just curious about this. I don't know because Scripture doesn't say how he came out. Here's what I mean. It says that he was bound, his hands and his feet, with linen strips. So if he was bound, like straight-up mummification style, come out. If he had to be unbound by those that were around Did Jesus say, Lazarus, come out, and this floating corpse that is now alive float out and come before him? I don't know, but that would be really cool. I wish I was there to see it. Anyways, moving on, starting in verse, going on in verse 45. Many of us need to realize God is all-powerful, and we serve a powerful God, and we need to act like it. Let's read the rest of this passage, and then we'll roll it up. So verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. See, the intent of what Jesus was doing is coming to fruition. People are believing in him. That's a beautiful thing. All right, verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. 
If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to, to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and, and saying to one another that they stood in the temple, what do you think? For he, or I'm sorry, that he will not come to the feast at all. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So what do we see in these last couple passages here of John 11? It is my belief that we are seeing these guys be really, really ignorant. They were just told, hey, this guy Jesus... Death doesn't scare him, and he's raising people from the dead. So they go and come to council and be like, wait a minute, this guy, he has power even over death. Let's try to kill him. I don't understand how they got there. All I know is God was working in it because he needed to die a death that was ridiculously put together by people that would drum up some false charges and that he would die a death he didn't deserve. I get that. But what I don't get is these guys' mindset and how no one was like, wait a minute, guys, this, this is a bad idea. This guy has power over death. How are we going to go and apply that to him? This doesn't work. This is not someone we should become enemies with. We should probably befriend him. I would hope that if we were in that scenario, or like that scenario, I should say, because we fall in this scenario often, we just don't see it. There's things going on in this world that oppose God and fall into sinful desires. And many times when we're in group settings, hard for us to be that voice of reason to say, hey, that's not a good idea. Why? Because I serve an all-powerful, wonderful, awesome God, and he says it's a bad idea. That takes a lot of courage, especially for some young people in this group that are brought up and they're around their friends and other people all the time, and the world infiltrates and sin abounds. It's hard to stand up for what's right, but it's right. So do it, because God wants you to. And God 
is all-knowing, and God is everywhere, and God is all-loving, and God is all-powerful. And we should listen to what he has to say, and we should do what he has to say. And we should be observing God and learning his attributes and his characteristics. We should learn and know everything about him, just like we know everything about Eeyore. We know everything about Tigger. We know how he jumps. We know how he jumps and pounces. We know how he has a lot of fun. And we know how Eeyore is just sad and miserable about everything and his tail falls off. We should know what makes God happy. We should know how he reacts, how he works through each and everybody's lives. We should know the characteristics of God and we should act like we actually know them. To the Christians in the room, you know what God wants from you. Do it. To the unbeliever in the room, it's, there's no accident that you're here. Jesus went through all of these different things. He even let his best friend die. Not his best friend, but his good friend die. Obviously, he was super sad about it. He was weeping. For four days, all these people were mourning, and then he brings him forth alive again in a huge miracle to show that he has power over the grave so that they might believe in him and who he is. Do you need that today? You have it right here. You have it in the scriptures. You see time and time and time again God being faithful to his word, God being faithful, God being God. Learn who he is. Seek him out. And God will be faithful to save you. God will be faithful to turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh because he loves you, because he is all loving. God came here and he didn't just raise Lazarus from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. He came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, stayed in the grave for three days, rose again, and then showed himself to many different people during many different times saying, hey, I'm alive again. I'm going up to sit with the Father. Believe in me. I'm telling you today, believe in him. God is good. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Your character you're all-knowing, you're all-wonderful, you're wonderful self. You are so good to us. We love you so much, and we pray that if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, God, please get a hold of their heart. Show them who you are, not just through your word, but show them through all those around, him, around them. Show your love to those around us. God, help us to love one another, to show your love to those around us. Love you so much. Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen and amen.